Yeah, thank you, Steve. You, uh, you know, I like it that you didn't that you didn't give up, and that uh, and we all came in and let, thank you, Steve. That's okay. Give him some encouragement there. Um, you know, because I mean, Brent is on the trip to Soul Quest right now, and uh, and so, but we've got all of our singing servants, and everybody just just steps in. I can't thank all of you enough. Uh, for just being a part of this, I you know we do actually have the one of the largest choirs in town. It's 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 all of you. It's all of you. We uh, we all join in and encourage one another. Um, so I have a few things to tell you. As long as we're just family here, and, and some things I wanted to start out with. Um, Dina Jenkins is also on the trip to Soul Quest, and um, so we um, we went with a mini bulletin this week. All right, and then she'll have the the new one out for this Sunday. But on this mini bulletin, it's a focus on on BBS. And if you picked up one of these, great. Uh, If not, they're still out there. Since they're smaller, they might get hidden in with everything else. But remember this website, westark.org slash VBS 2019. VBS 2019, Victor Baker Sierra 2019. So if you'll remember that, then you'll, uh, uh, you'll be able to go to um, that website and sign up for, for VBS. And, and it tells you some of the things we've got there. And, and I really want you to try. I want you to try. Just like Steve set the example for us, just, just try something. Okay, and that's even in his skill set. But we had people last year that uh, they really tried. I, I'm just saying that Patrick Pruitt decided that he was going to be one of the, the, the fellow handmaidens with Esther. Now, that, that is definitely cast against type, but it was a hit last year. So you never know what you can do. And we're going to have a lot of fun, and this is, uh, this is a great event. So I, I register your, your children for this, your grandchildren and others, and we'll tell you more about this next week. But on June 23rd, that'll be the start of a wonderful VBS week. Uh, a few things I wanted to point out other than keep praying for our folks who are on the way to Soul Quest and the week that they're having, the team that's going to Bulgaria will actually leave from Nebraska and go to Bulgaria uh, from there. So they have a uh, very tight schedule. So there's, But it, it's great, too, because then we have so many uh, guests today, and we're thankful for everyone Who's here? I want to point a few of those out. Um, uh, the English family, Randy English and his family. Where are you, Randy? Raise your hand. It's uh, there's right there. Look there. That's okay. I want to welcome them. For those of you who don't know, this is uh, they they have been missionaries to American Samoa and have deep deep roots. I think Randy, you told me about thirty years, right, with this congregation that uh, you've had ties uh, with West Ark and now. Uh, Aaron, McKaylee, and Jane are going to be back here in this area, and we're thankful for that. So you get the award for traveling the furthest distance uh, from American Samoa. So leaving from Nebraska to Bulgaria, that, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a milk run for them. Uh, the, uh, also, uh, uh, Bruce Davenport is here, and he said he'd preach. So, all right, Bruce, in a few minutes, you'll write something up, but... Um, we're, uh, and then Christy Alexander is here. Ra- raise your hand, Christy. Uh, Christy uh, has come here to say hello to everyone. And uh, I told her that I have to announce this in such a way that it doesn't 
seem like we're excited. We're excited for her adventure, but we're sad that she's moving to West Virginia. And so, uh, but she's got a new job there, and she's got something that she's excited about. So if you know Christy, be sure and meet with her today, because this is, that's why she's here. She wants to uh, check in with everybody, and you will come see us when you come back, right? Okay, all right. Well, it's just a wonderful Sunday, and what better Sunday to do this on than Pentecost Sunday? I don't know if you knew that, but uh, now, now David and Joyce did because it's their anniversary today. That's right. And uh, yeah, how many years? 58. 58. Okay. 58 years. Wow. They... Contrary to rumors, you were not married on the original day of Pentecost. No, no, no. This is good. Now, we, we did this a couple of weeks ago, and we said, uh, said uh, what day is Pentecost? June 9th, and uh, Chadwell said, that's our anniversary. So, But hey, thank you for showing us the wisdom of God's ways. We appreciate that. And, um, and you know... Who knows? I mean, uh, I don't know if, well, I'm going to tell you about some Pentecost specials later uh, for, your, for your anniversary. The, um, the story of Pentecost, and, and you may have thought, wait, wait, is that still a thing? Yeah, it is still a thing. And it is a, um, it's a celebration that, that gets picked up in the Christian church as a remembrance of when the Spirit empowers the church. But it existed before that as the culmination of what was called the Feast of of weeks, which was the wheat. Now there's weeks, W-E-E-K-S, and then it was the end of the wheat harvest that would take place. And so it was a 50-day celebration, uh, you know, seven weeks, seven by 749 plus a day. So you, that's why you get pente in there, Greek for five. The, um, uh, the celebration, you find it in Scripture. It was also traditionally considered the day that God gave Israel the Torah, that he gave them his, uh, his word written uh, by him, you know, with, uh, uh, given to Moses. And now you, you hear the proclamation on Pentecost with the tongues of fire given to the apostles. But let's, let's capture that story for just a moment. And I want you to listen to the account of what happens on that day of Pentecost. Now remember, everyone would have been in Jerusalem celebrating the end of the wheat harvest, the, uh, the feast of weeks, and then the day of Pentecost came and all the believers are together in one place. There's about 120 of them. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked each other, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, 
Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now there's more to Peter's sermon, but he's explaining to them what this means. They ask the question, what does it mean that we're hearing all of this? And there is a, uh, there are some connections with what happens with Moses receiving the law and giving it to the people and, and with what happened at the Tower of Babel. But this Pentecost was a, it was a movable feast. It would come up every year. And it continued after that, at least at points in the Christian tradition. And I can't help but think, okay, if we know the date of Pentecost, like we know Easter, isn't it interesting that Pentecost has not fallen to the same kind of commercialization that has happened to Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and Father's Day and so many of your other holidays? I mean, mean, the, the spiritual meaning of that has been left aside and... I believe that one day this could happen to Pentecost. And if that happened, it might look something like this. Uh, You would have the Tongues of Fire Pentecost 12-piece basket at Buffalo Wild Wings. And if you're groaning right now, you've got to ask yourself, well, you know, why doesn't the commercialization of other remembrances affect us that way, you know? We might even get a little sophisticated. I mean, if you're going to get so crass as to do commercial tie-ins, then uh, experience the miracle of speaking another language, and Rosetta Stone gives you a 50% Pentecost special. Um, And here's a throwback for some of you. I mean, why not have Orson Welles? We will serve no wine before it's nine. Some of you younger ones have no idea what that means. Ask someone who lived through the late 70s and they'll explain it to you. Um, Pentecost has meaning. And even though commercialization has not ruined the meaning of Pentecost, it's worth it for us to go back and find the true meaning of Pentecost, just as we're always seeking the true meaning of Christmas and Easter. The story that comes to mind when you witness the Pentecost miracle is the story of the Tower of Babel. That at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, humankind has come together 
afraid of being scattered throughout the earth, even though God wants humanity to spread out and multiply and cover the earth, they would much rather come together and build their own empire, much rather come together and build their own city to their own glory, for their own protection, for their own safety. And they have the technology to do it. Believe it or not, Genesis 11 is one of our best scriptures about technology or technique that humankind invents and then gets very proud about it. For the people in Babel, it was, look, we know how to fire bricks and we know how to put mortar on them. And you may be thinking, that that is the most low-tech thing I've ever heard. Yeah, but it's a step up from putting stones on top of each other. I mean, if you can make flat bricks and then stick them together, you can build a pretty tall tower. And a pretty tall tower would make a name for yourself. People would see it forever and they would flock to your city. And that would be great. Whatever it is that we trust in and rely upon to make a name for ourselves, even if it's well-intentioned, becomes our own technology or our own technique, which, which technology and technique both come from a root word meaning magic. I'm not saying that it's all of the occult. I'm not saying that you shouldn't use your, you know, your mobile devices today because there's uh, some sort of, of demonic influence invested in them, although there might be. But think about it like this. How often have we tried to build our own community of safety with our technology? We put more and more devices in airports. We get more and more people stressed out about travel. We think that it ought to be absolutely safe, and it isn't. But we put our trust in technology. We believe that if we use technology, we can all communicate. We're all now so connected. You can send messages around the world and you can connect with so many people. You can find all the friends that you ever met. You can connect with them. And you know that all of that, that amazing ability to communicate with words and pictures, why, that's going to bring us together into a golden age of understanding, isn't it? That's what we said maybe 15 years ago. Let me just give you this serious uh, warning right now. About four years ago, when the Supreme Court made its decision on same-sex marriage, the Internet got wild. And I mean, during the last, and then the election after that, the Internet got wild. And it became a place where, where, where people found that they were stressed out and angry at people that they thought they were totally okay with. I don't know of very many examples of anyone having a debate online that convinced anyone else to change their opinion. It just made everyone very anxious and nervous. Now, there may be another situation coming our way with the Supreme Court challenges to Roe versus Wade. And yes, there are some absolute truths involved in the sacredness of life. But I don't know that we're going to make much headway by espousing our views online. Go ahead if you want to, and that's fine. It might make a difference. But don't be surprised if it doesn't work at all. Because we cannot put our trust in the technology. We have to put our trust 
in the Spirit of God, which gives us the ability to speak. I would also recommend this for an age that relies so much on technological communication. If you have a serious matter to discuss with someone and you can't hear the tone in their voice or see into their eyes, don't have that discussion through any other means if you can help it. You know, you're not going to, don't have an argument on text, okay? It doesn't, it never works. Yeah. And besides that, soon then, autocorrect will step in and really mess it up on you. Um, at Pentecost, the miracle is that people understand. They hear in their own language. It's not just that the apostles, that Peter and the eleven can speak in your language, but you can hear it. I think it's a safe bet that there were more than 12 languages represented in that group. Remember that line where it said there were residents of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism? There's no telling how many languages are spoken. That might be 12 languages or more right there. If you go to some of the major cities today, even even, uh, uh, the nations in Africa or in Southeast Asia... They speak dozens of languages in just a small area because everyone has their own tribal form of communication or their own internal form of communication. So the fact that, that this miracle of God creates not only the ability to speak but the ability to hear and understand means that this is not just a miracle of tongues of fire but it's also the opening of ears. The opening of hearts and minds. And maybe as we, what is the meaning of Pentecost? You and I have a message that we believe is very important. We have truth that we have changed our lives around. We have conformed ourselves to that message that Peter preached. That Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified, that he is the Savior. And that God wants to save us from a crooked and perverse generation. Now, we believe that's a message we want to share, but we're not always sure if we know how. Instead of relying on technique and technology, what if we were trusted in God's Spirit to create open ears, open hearts, open minds, and then we spoke out in trust and faith, saying what we know? We ought to try it. We ought to try it. The other meaning of Babel and Pentecost is that at Babel there's a lot of pride and it might even be well-intentioned pride it's a pride that's based on the idea that with our technology with our ability to build with our ability to construct that we can draw everyone together and we can create safety and we can create prominence and we can create an economy that will take care of everyone we, we are, we're not immune to such pride That sometimes when we build, we want to build churches or we want to build communities or we want to build uh, relationships of friends that will keep growing and growing and growing. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why? Is that because we believe in this message or is it just because we think that's what we're supposed to do and we're into it so mechanically and so automatically that we're trusting more in our ability to get things done? than in the creator who made everything. 
before this miracle happens on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and for some people, the Bible begins and ends at Acts chapter 2, but there is an Acts chapter 1. And Acts chapter 1 is very important because Jesus says to Peter and the 11 and the others who are assembled there, who are no more than 120 folks, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. Jesus has the big vision. Witness to the entire world. And, of course, it's natural that their response is, okay, so are you going to restore the kingdom at this time then? Jesus says, God will take care of the timing. You wait and pray. Now, that sounds like one of the worst strategies you can ever come up with with regards to a mission or a project. Just wait and pray? Surely, Jesus, somebody needs to take action. I mean, we need to start doing something. We need to start building something. We need to start putting together a a, a team, a committee, or something. No. You wait, you pray, and the Lord will provide the timing and the power. And that's what happens. People don't even understand it, but Peter gets to explain it. There's a certain amount of patience that is not laziness, but it is a humble trust that keeps us from getting out ahead of God in this mission that we, that we truly desire to be a part of. And I tell you, we need to spend time waiting, praying, asking the Lord to show us the open doors before us, asking the Lord to give us what we need. There's so many ministries that have come about here over the last uh, 15 years. And those ministries have grown because God put together the, the people at the right time, at the right place. And they've been very successful. It's ridiculous for us to take too much credit for any of it. We just have to be faithful and obedient. And God will, God will provide. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean that we just sit back and let God take care of it all as though there's... You know, we're not a part of it. No, the first move that we might have to make is to get out of our chair and get out of our pews and get down on our knees. And we might need to pray. That means we need to bow our head. Or that means we need to lift up our face to heaven. It might mean that we need to encourage one another to pray. Whatever, we're going to be active in trust and active in patience. There's another meaning of Pentecost, and it's a distinction between the goals of human society and the goals of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we are, you know, we we say human society, and in this day and age, it might seem like that is, um, well, you know, that's something that, that we would naturally be against because humanism sounds like a bad thing. That sounds like we're leaving God out of it. Humanism sounds like we're not really valuing human beings at all. But I want you to know that human society is, is, is sort of always around us and it's wrapped up in our identity. Because we have the structures that call us together, that we find our identity in. And they're not all bad. For example, being an American is one of the ways that a lot of us find identity. And there is an American flag on this stage. Why? Because we consider that something good. 
I mean, they don't have to be evil things. There are, there are things around us that create our identity. We meet in a church building. We spent money to build it. Why? Because we believe that people have come to get used to having a meeting place like this, a place that might be somewhat public, uh, somewhat open, a place that is neutral we can gather. Uh, we have even during this flood relief decided that it is good to get involved with the, the neighbors and the others who are involved in, in efforts uh, at flood relief in this community. Not all of this is bad. But human society will put labels on us. If you go back to chapter 2, the people who hear the, the, um, the, the Peter and the eleven speaking recognize them first as Galileans. Then how is it that each of us hears in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. See, human society naturally puts us into categories. Men, women, Jews, Greeks, slave, free, insiders, outsiders, visitors, members, guests. I mean, it, it does all that to us. I mean, right now, who are we? Well, some of you are residents of Sebastian County. Some of you are residents of Crawford County. Some of you are residents of Oklahoma. Some of you are residents of Arkansas. Some of us are residents maybe of the United States. Some of us are residents of maybe another country. And all of that, you know, just seems okay. We can all say, hey, we're all human and we're all just one and that's all good. But the second some sort of event happens... And we start getting questions. Who are you? Where are you from? Oh, well, then this applies to you, and this doesn't apply to you. We find this all the time. It's why we get frustrated about things. Even in the flood relief efforts that we've been involved in, some of that has to be operated. Even though there's just a bridge separating us, a a little river separating us, it can make all the difference in the world. I remember sitting with uh, city leaders one time, oh, years ago, And uh, somebody said, you know, well, why can't this be fixed? I mean, that's just a street here in Fort Smith. No, that's actually not a street in Fort Smith. That's a state highway. Oh, I see. So you have to get somebody at the state level to take care of it. Well, what about this street? Well, that's not a state highway. That's actually a U.S. highway. You see, human society likes to categorize things and carve things up and put them in boxes. I guess it's our just nature of feeling in control. But the Holy Spirit upsets all that. The Holy Spirit will take all that away from us. And it puts us in the rather uncomfortable position of having to trust in what God is doing and surrender not just our lives. I mean, surrendering your lives to God and receiving his Holy Spirit, hey, we're all for that. But if you want that Holy Spirit to actually work in your life and you have to now surrender your will and surrender your way and surrender your time to God's Holy Spirit, hey, wait a second, I'm not sure we bargained for that. A lot of us would rather be like Simon the Sorcerer in Acts 7. This Holy Spirit thing, it seems pretty good. How do I get some of that Holy Spirit? 
Because I think I could really use that to do a lot of good. Holy Spirit doesn't operate that way. The Holy Spirit says you need to step out of the driver's seat, okay? Let us understand who's driving here. The disciples are never controlling the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading them. It's always out in front of them, taking them where they want to go. Where did we ever get the idea? That, I'm not saying that we don't read Scripture, but we don't read Scripture to twist it and to make it support what we already want to do. If we do, then we're reading Scripture wrong. We read Scripture to humble ourselves to it and say, what do we need to change? How do we need to obey? What does this mean for us? A community of the Holy Spirit looks very different than just an organized human society. Even an organized human society that puts Christian labels on itself. It, it, is, it is quite an awesome thing. And, and yet, it will, if we will trust God to build the community by His Spirit we will find that there is an incredible peace in that. Later on in Acts chapter 10, Peter shows up at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. Now, in Peter's world, Gentiles and Jews don't mix. He's not a hater. That's just the way it is. It doesn't happen like that. Because Cornelius eats funny food. They, they do stuff they're not supposed to. They're not really clean. They don't know the Torah. They don't know the background. They don't have the traditions. It's just too hard to explain it to them because what Peter and his people know are there are these things that are just Jewish things. We're not going to mistreat Cornelius, but, you know, it's kind of hard to explain it all to him, even if he is seeking God. So God says to Peter, Peter, I want you to get up and I want you to go visit Cornelius. And before that, he plays a little game with Peter. Does a, little, does a little lesson, a little object lesson. Peter, look at all these animals. Some of them are clean, some of them are unclean. Look at all the unclean animals. See those unclean animals? See that pig? Go have some bacon, Peter. Oh, no, Lord. I only eat the right stuff. Mm, okay, you're missing the point. Peter is dedicated and devoted to his categories that have created the society that God never necessarily, God may have given them instructions, but God didn't want them signing his name to their boundaries and barriers on that. The instructions were for a purpose, but not so that they could make distinctions between people. So then they show, show up at Cornelius' house because God sort of sets up the appointment. Tells Cornelius to send for Peter. Tells Peter to go to Cornelius' house. And Peter has the brilliant mission technique of opening with the words, you know, I shouldn't even be here. Remember that. Remember that when you're in the mission field. You know, remember that. I'm not even supposed to be here. And before they know what to do next, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and his family, which then prompts a committee meeting with Peter and his companions. And he says, well... I guess we ought to baptize them because God's already approved them. That's what community by the Holy Spirit is like. They at least, you know, at least Peter didn't say, well, first we need to check this out. They trust in the Holy Spirit. They recognize it. They know what it is. They become the witnesses to tell Cornelius, this is why you're experiencing this. Because they have the message about Jesus Christ. Now, regardless of how we feel about 
miracles and the activity of the Holy Spirit. And I really wish that we could just take all that, that, that thought about the, uh, uh, the more uh, eccentric parts of it that we get hung up on. I wish we would look more at what the Holy Spirit, how it's described in Paul's letters where it changes lives and it changes attitudes. And I tell you that people who, whose lives have been changed by the Holy Spirit, who find community where they thought they were once lonely, that people who find strength where they thought they had no strength, that people find emotional healing where they thought there was no healing, that those are as miraculous as any tongue of fire. Those are just as powerful, even more powerful than some of these more unusual and supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. I'm content to leave that part of the Holy Spirit under God's control. And I hope you are too. And in fact, why wouldn't we leave anything that has to do with the Holy Spirit under God's control? Which is exactly where you and I need to be. Humble, obedient, dedicated to him. Because what is the alternative? The alternative is that we will build a church with brick and mortar stacked up high to make a name for ourselves the whole time saying that, well, this is just for you, Jesus. And yet we're really just participating in another part of human society. I am thankful that this church has been obedient. I want to continue to encourage us to be ever so obedient. Don't be anxious about the things that people are anxious about in the world. Don't worry about the things that people are worried about in human society. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled by all that. We don't need the best technology. We don't need the proper technique. We certainly don't need pride and we don't need our own know-how. We need the patience and trust in God's Holy Spirit. And he will give the increase. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would, that you would be with us as we strive to be obedient to you. That our first step always will be waiting and praying. And that our second step will be obedience and trust. Father, we thank you that you... Give your spirit to those who are ordinary. That in the church, there's no royalty other than Jesus. There's no special class. There are no distinctions that keep us separated. But rather, we are all clothed in Christ. We are all covered by his blood. And we are all forgiven of our sins. And we are all unworthy servants simply doing our duty. Let us take joy in that, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, friends, if you need any kind of encouragement today, there are going to be shepherds up here at the front. They're, uh, they're faithful servants. They're obedient. They're doing their duty. And they're, they're thrilled to pray with you. They'll also meet you in room 100. Let's stand, let's sing, let's encourage one another.